Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. And today we're talking strategy, one of my favorite topics. No surprise, because I picked the guests, that we have topics that I like to talk about. I hope you like strategy as much as I do. I've got somebody who's the absolute perfect person because his entire career is kind of like a model for what you would want as a strategist. My guest today is Barry Horowitz, and he's a strategy consultant. He owns his own company, but he has the classic consulting background, Harvard MBA, one of the top consulting companies in the nation, and then he went on to form his own company. So we're gonna talk to him about the nuances involved in strategy. We're also gonna talk to him about how you develop business as a strategist. You can't just go knock on doors and say, hey, you got some problems I can solve. So I wanna talk to him about business development. And I also wanna talk to him particularly about some of the challenges that businesses are facing as a result of the last couple of years. So if you wanna look inside the C-suite, we've got the perfect guy to take us in there today. Please join me in welcoming Barry Horowitz too. The Inside BS Show. Barry, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me, Dave. Happy to be here. All right. So you do have, you. when I was a little baby consultant, if I were to pick my background, I would pick a background identical to yours. Unfortunately, I didn't have the same set of skills that you have. So my background was a little different, but you've got a classic consulting background. So when when you're at one of the you know one of the best consulting companies on on the planet right when you you're at Boston Consulting Group right when you're when you were there did you always have an entrepreneurial streak were you always thinking to yourself listen at some point i'm going to stop working with these knuckleheads and do this on my own was that was that your intention were you were you always an entrepreneur or did you develop that as time went on well actually um Though I, I wouldn't call them knuckleheads, I, I didn't expect that I would stay with the firm forever. I did think perhaps longer than I did, but I did leave for an entrepreneurial opportunity. Before I went there, before I got my MBA, I actually was an entrepreneur. I, I built an in-store bakery division uh, in a local supermarket chain. I was given the opportunity right out of college to take a look at a, a pilot that they had and, and try to figure out if it was working and they put me in charge of building the division. I, I got a chance to build 32 bakeries, and I thought that was a great experience. So it was clear I'd want to build something again. Yeah, that's what, what a, I can't think of anything more fun than than building a bakery. I mean, just the smells alone every day. I, I mean, eventually, I guess you get used to it, but the smells alone would be enough to get you through the morning for sure. <laughs> I, I did uh, eat an awful lot of donuts in, in uh, my time there. I'm not sure why I'm not 400 pounds, but... It was a great experience. All right, so there's an expression that absolutely infuriates me. And from spending a little time on your website, it looks like you uh, are more diplomatic, but it tend, I, I can tell it tends to rub you the wrong way too. And that's the expression that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? And I always, whenever I heard that expression, Barry, I thought to myself, oh, that's great. So we're going to build a good culture and everybody's just going to sit around and be happy, but we're not going to know what direction we're going in, right? Why does that, why does that bother you? And I'm, I'm reading into what you wrote on your website. Why does that bother you so much? Because it absolutely frustrates the hell out of me. Well, well I think that um, there are a lot of times that people, strategy comes in and out of favor, 
um, because people assume, oh, the world is changing quickly, and so you can't predict, so we, so we don't know. And, and I think while culture is critically important, and in fact, having the right culture for your strategy is going to be pretty important, you still need to decide where you're going. You still need to understand who you're up against and what the market needs. And, uh, you know, so I, I think it's still relevant. I don't think no, there's I, been a time in the world where people thought the market was moving slowly, right? I, I never understood the, you know, that there's the Covey expression, like you, you know, you, you get the right people on the bus, but then if the bus driver has no GPS, right? I, I used to say roadmap. Now I say GPS. If the bus driver has no GPS, then you got the right people on the bus, but it's going to the wrong destination. And strategy is the GPS, right? That's right. Otherwise, you end up with the Yogi Berra kind of quote, which says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. That's it. That's it. And when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So, <laughs> all right, let's let's talk about your the, the definition of strategy. I was going to say your definition, but there's one definition of strategy. What do you, how do you define strategy and you know you're sitting with a with a CEO and he describes a problem to you and you say to him that's a strategic problem we can help you there D give us a definition well a lot of times it's really about um, figuring out where you want to go one way I've heard it said is and, and that I like a lot is is where are we going to play and how are we going to win and and by that the reason I like that is because part of what you have to decide is what you're not going to do Right. I mean, one of the things that happens is gradually over time, people add these new initiatives and they end up with a number of different initiatives. And then each one of them gets a little bit diluted uh, and then they're not as uh, they're not as focused and they can't be as effective. So a lot of times that's the, the issue is deciding what to stop doing or, or what to really tightly focus on. Yeah. And talk a little bit about uh, Barry the difference between strategy and then ultimately having the right pieces in place to implement a strategy, right? Do you do you sit back and advise CEOs like, listen, we could create this whole strategy for you, but you, th there's no there's no way you could execute on this now, so you need to scale it back. I mean, there's often a disconnect between what the what the strategy is and the ability of the of the firm to to execute. I'd say that's exactly right. One of the very first projects I did as an independent, and this was quite a long time ago, was an organization with some really interesting technology for food production. It's now a lot more well known. It's called sous vide. It's a it's a frozen prepared approach. Um, they had launched off in seven or eight different directions. Every kind of market that um, this might apply to. And, and what that meant is we weren't being very effective in any. So we had to spend some time getting them to think about which of the ones where the market's ready now, which are the ones that might be ready later, uh, and which of the ones where the value proposition is the strongest. And let's take one or two of them and go there and take them out of the other markets, not necessarily forever, but for now to really be able to build, uh, you know, the solid core of the business and then build on it from there. Uh, I, I found that with uh, a number of clients, actually. And do, when you, when you're assessing the overall market conditions 
and you look at the capabilities of the firm that's hired you, oftentimes a, a good consultant, because they have fresh eyes, can spot the pitfalls and the real opportunity right away. Do you find that you need to do in-depth research as much to support your hypothesis and convince the company to adopt it as uh, as much as you have to do to actually confirm what you've seen. So basically, your experience becomes what people pay for, but then you have to do research to support it because you won't get buy-in otherwise. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that is that a condition that you've seen play out in your in your work with clients? Yes, I, I've I've seen it many times, and and I think a big part of um, what I'm seeing is if I'm just telling them what I think. Um, even if I have some experience, I probably don't have experience exactly in their field, for one. And so they view it as perhaps my opinion. And if it's my opinion against their opinion, I'm pretty sure they'll prefer their opinion. It's, it's been cultivated for a while. So it really does need the rigor uh, and the analysis. Even the work that I did when I had the experience was based on um, doing doing the analysis, figuring out the opportunity. The other thing I'd say too is that um, I'm not. I haven't been just a consultant in my career. I have been on the other side of the desk. I have been, you know, uh, with PNL experience. I have had um, people working for me, so I understand what implementation's about as well. So I think very much those are elements that I bring to it. What happens, Barry? when you you're you're tasked with an engagement they bring you in like they they know your background they know you're perfect for the engagement you're tasked with the engagement but you know the business has no capability to to live up to the you know the the plan that you're going to put together do you do you tell them up front do you do you do initial discovery process and then try and present to them hey listen this is what it's going to take. You tell me if you want to proceed or do you just do the engagement, turn it over to them and kind of, you know, clean hands, walk away. What's your what's your approach in that regard? Well, it, it's a little more between, you know, those kind of approaches. One of the things that I like to do is really make sure that my work is interactive. So I don't I don't go off and then, you know, do my magic and bring them ta-da, here's your strategy. Uh, you know, I work with them, I work with their people. As they start to understand and see it, we, we're able to talk about uh, what it needs, where that fits with them. And if we think that they need to really build capabilities, first of all, they have to be convinced that it's a place they ought to go so that it's an investment worth making. And, and if it's going to take a while to build it, then we think that out a couple of years. Uh, and there have been others where, you know, there's been a real gap between what they want and where they are, in which case we, we call for a first phase. We, we work on something to get them ready and, and allow them to build that for a while and ask them to come back uh, if they've done that and they're still interested. And then we'll build on to it from there. So I do try to leave them with something that I know they can do something with it. You know, there's not much point in giving them a perfect strategy that they can execute. Right, right. Have you had occasion to um, to deliver the the dead on honest truth and that gets you fired? Um, 
I've had to deliver dead on honest truth. I, I can't say that I've been fired very often. I think I only really have one client who clearly didn't like where I was going and, and the project ended a bit early. Um, other times if they're, you know, again, I have to be diplomatic, so I, I don't, and I don't want to be insulting. They're not, it's not that they're not intelligent. It's that, you know, when we really look at the facts, if I can convince them uh, that there's a challenge here, um, a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, can you help me get there? So more often than not, I've, I've had it well received, even though I am um, fairly often, it's, it's not happy news that I'm bringing. Yeah. No, we, we, I've had, I've had that experience a couple of times where we, we did an engagement. This is back when I was, I was, I worked for Gallup for a number of years and this is back when I was at Gallup. We did, we did some extensive research and the research was, uh, completely divergent from the leader's view of the world. And the, the, uh, the person just the, in one particular case, the person said, well, this information can't get out or I'll get fired. So you're going to get fired first. <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, well, that seems fair. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, well, there is, there, there is often a lot of times where they really like it to be the consultant that has the bad news. Um, and then they can use you as that lever. Um, and you know, There've been times. Uh, the, one of the toughest ones, and I did this with a group, so it wasn't my relationship. I was subcontracting to a group. We were dealing with a glass bottle manufacturer, and they had engaged us for growth in the U.S. market. And uh, what we ended up finding is that while they were really focused on an exciting new technological area being potentially displaced by plastic, they ignored a whole lot of other markets that were already now starting to be eroded. And ultimately what we delivered to them is a plant consolidation strategy because they had already uh, begun to lose and the momentum was picking up on uh, losing major segments of their market. So it went from being a, an innovation and growth to a plant consolidation model, but they started to understand that as we followed along and they could see the hints and so rather than fire us, they really needed us to help them with, well, what do we do? So, yeah. And that's, and, and that, that was a great example of where the client was like, oh man, you know, there's a train coming and, you know, Barry and his team can help us get off the tracks. <laughs> All right. So Barry, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to take a minute and think about it. I want you to talk to folks who are out there now in professional services, whether it be consulting or, you know, uh, in the practice of law, CPA firms. I want you to, to talk to them about navigating the internal politics of a client organization, right? Because it's their politics, but sometimes we have to, we, we end up playing a, a role in it. Sometimes we're pawns. Sometimes they try and use us. Uh, and I want, I want to tap into your experience and how you handle some of those situations. And I want to do that in just one minute. I need to remind folks right now that we're brought to you, our show is brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. And for over 35 years, Sandrowski has provided expert client service all over the United States in the area of accounting, but they're not your typical accounting firm. Sandrowski can help you with tax planning. They can help you with any type of financial consulting, but they excel in working with privately held businesses and working with families of wealth, affluent families. Now, why these two areas? Well, they seem to go hand in hand because what will happen when you sell 
your business, you will become hopefully a family of wealth. And then that opens up a whole new world of opportunity, but it also opens up a whole new range of, let's say, challenges for you. Because immediately people will begin pitching you on their great business idea. Well, this is where Sandrowski can really help you because Sandrowski has written the book on what's called family offices. They can help you form a family office, which is essentially a company that can vet investments for you, that can help you manage your wealth, that can take all of the stress of those tough conversations off of your plate. The family office can be a clearinghouse for your financial advisors. It can help you hire and connect with good legal advice. It can help you bring in consultants to do specific things. And Sandrowski can be the backbone that sets all this up for you. If you want help with something like this, give them a call at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by my revenue roadmap guide. If you want a business development plan for your professional service firm, I've got one for you and I want to give it to you for free. It's my way of saying thank you for joining us today on the show. Go to this website, revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Type that all in together. Enter your contact info. You can download my business development plan for professional services firms. You can customize it for your firm. It'll work fantastically for you. I use this with my clients every day. I customize it for them. You can do the same. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info. Download it for free today. We're talking with Barry Horowitz. He's a strategy consultant. Horowitz and Company is the name of his firm. You can reach out to him at 617-928-0572. 617-928-0572. Okay, Barry. So the part of this job that I hate the most is the internal politics uh, at my client's office, right? I love going to hang out with the client. I love tinkering around under the hood. I love helping them become more successful. I like solving big problems, but I don't ever want to get in between two people whose ambition is, you know, the size of Texas. So give us some thoughts on how to handle the politics at the client site. And quite frankly, just if we can stay out of it. Well, you know, and one of the things I was reflecting on that, it, it's been helpful that I have worked in large organizations as well as uh, senior management. So I, I've lived and experienced those uh, uh, politics from the inside. I start a lot of my projects. In fact, I start all of my projects by making sure I talk to each of the critical people one-on-one. -on -one. And I try to build as many of those kind of personal connecting, trusting relationships as I can. So when I start to see signs of that, uh, two things that I, that I try to focus on. One, I try to stay out of the emotions. I try to get them to, to calm down if, the, if it's heated um, or, or just generally if I see it's uh, related to an emotional issue. What are the, what's the facts? What are the data behind it? I try to be that objective, data-oriented, analysis-based approach. But I also, uh, at times, I've been a bit of a diplomat between, say, a CEO who is unhappy with the performance of some of his people and, and people who don't understand why he's unhappy or what he's trying to do. If I can mentor them, guide them along the way while we're working on this project, sometimes I can help improve the relationship. So I'm really trying to work around it and with it because if they're going to be successful in making something happen, they're going to have to work within the politics they have or at least modify them in order to do that. So I can't just ignore it. I do think I have to 
dig in. So I try to do that on a one-on-one, uh, avoid um, embarrassing anyone in a large group, avoid confrontations, and really listen, a lot of listening. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Have you had occasion to come across a top producer who also happened to be either disruptive or just bad for the bad for the culture of the organization. I mean, I seem to, because I do a lot of work in business development, I seem to come across those people, you know, uh, with more frequency than I would like. Let's put it, let's put it that way. And it's a real challenge for the organization because this person is, is doing the job to, you know, to a very high standard according to the organization, yet it's, they're, they're just aggravating people internally. And, you know, you can put programs in place to try and stop it, but it's, at, in the end, you and I both know what the right answer is, and then we got to go back and convince other people. I'm curious as to, as to if you've come across that type of situation and what you do when, when those things arise. Well, I do a lot of what it sounds like you do, because, yes, of course, I've, I've encountered those. And uh, oftentimes, if I can pinpoint, you know, what they're doing, I'll, I'll you know, I'll try to talk to the, the performer themselves. That often, I know, doesn't really cause a lot of change. I'll also maybe talk to the CEO and make sure you know, he or she understands uh, what they're dealing with and the, the pros and cons. I also try to deal with, again, the individuals that, that have to encounter that person. Maybe they can uh, react or interact to that person with, the, with that person in a different way, uh, you know, create more pushback. Sometimes that's come out in like a group brainstorming session, um, but more often it's uh, shuttle diplomacy uh, back and forth. And occasionally I've had times where a CEO eventually removed a person, for example, that uh, probably should have been removed uh, three to six months earlier. And, you know, everybody, you know, at least acknowledged, well, at least finally that happened. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a process. There's no easy answer. It just takes time. Yeah, and sometimes those are the days when you're glad that you're a consultant and you don't have to live with that over the time. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little now about client lifetime value, Barry. One of the things that that um, that kind of has separated me over the years, and that you know, for, to the extent that I've had any success in business development and consulting, has been always keeping my eyes open, keeping my ears open and looking for another place where we can add value and, you know, help the client. Talk to me about what you do from that perspective to, you know, enhance the the lifetime value of the client to you to, you know, to help the client become even more successful to lead to, um, you know, after work, let's say, uh, from a from a consulting perspective. How how have you been able to, you know, to kind of pull that off throughout your career? Well, probably not as as well as as I wish I could, to be honest, because a lot of times strategy is one of those things where you you help set them on the right course and then they're on that course. Um, Though I would say fairly recently, uh, I've had a number of clients where we do the strategy and it, it points to you know, a little more depth of involvement. So there's a follow-on project to really refine to a, a tighter business plan. There have been times where I've stepped in to play a little bit of an interim role um, on a role that they know they need right away. Um, so that becomes a bit of an extension or a, 
you know, a, a mentoring relationship with the with the CEO for a little while. The other thing that's been helpful is a fair number of my clients, though, do come back after a year or two, or two to three sometimes, to say, well, you know, we've played out that strategy and, and we think it's time to take another look. The world is changing. Let's, let's take another look. Uh, also, uh, most of the new clients that I get have come from referrals from existing clients. So at least in that way, I keep uh, action going. One of the nice things about being um, a solo practice instead of building a big team is that I don't need that many projects to have a great year, right? And I can really only handle two, maybe three at a time. Uh, and, and so I don't need that many going on. Uh, and I think that's also helped. Then the timing of, you know, coming back and refreshing uh, works out really well. Yeah, you know, along those lines, well, as you were speaking, I thought about a question that I should have asked you earlier in the interview that I want to go back and ask you now. How has COVID and, you know, and all the ancillary issues related to COVID impacted the strategy for clients? Like, let's say you had a client that you worked with in 2018 or 2019 a lot of their strategy had to kind of fall by the wayside and they, they needed to, they must've needed to pivot. Was that, was that a good thing for you? Did that result in more work for you? Or was it one of those things where, you know, your clients were initially thinking to themselves, well, I don't know, you know, uh, we, we certainly can't bring in people from the outside now. I mean, that would be the opposite of what I would do, but how, how did it play out for you and your business? Well, actually, Played out pretty well. Uh, again, I, because I can't handle that many, I didn't have any real big swings. One interesting thing is that I was helping just before the pandemic, uh, helped a health and human services organization, a nonprofit in this case, that, that really needed to anticipate how Medicaid and uh, you know Obamacare was going to change how they were getting paid. And they really needed to restructure a lot of things put a lot more uh, systems in place to coordinate their analysis across multiple units. Uh, and then as it turned out that that really served them particularly well when the pandemic hit, because they were now with much better infrastructure and able to handle things that were remote uh, and able to react uh, to that environment. Uh, I've had others where you know, a lot of in-person meetings just shifted to uh, remote meetings and they had to very quickly figure out how we're going to do things differently when we can't do it face to face. Um, but most of them were able to adjust pretty well. Uh, I found, though, interestingly enough, I've done a couple of projects where I haven't met most of the people I worked with in person <laughs> for an entire six or eight month long project. We did a lot of it through Zoom. Um, but you know, it's not as easy to facilitate a discussion through zoom. It's not as bad to do a one-on-one, -on -one, but there's still something about being in person, uh, that just works better. So we've all been trying to work with, how do we work around the limitations of technology? Yeah. And what are you seeing these days? So folks who are listening, folks who are watching, depending on when you're listening or watching to this, we're in the spring of 2022. And um, it seems like we're we're kind of over the hump. But every time you say that with uh, with COVID-19, it has another surprise. But as of right now, I'm going to I'm going to say it seems like we're kind of over the hump. 
have you uh, have you seen clients now being more open to doing things in person? What's your what's your recent experience been like? Well, my very recent experience is I got back on a plane to fly to a client for the first time in uh, probably over two years. Yeah. Uh, partly because you know we were wrestling with a complex issue and we just felt like. We needed a whiteboard to just kind of lay it out. And, and so I went down, uh, this was actually in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I spent a couple of days there. Uh, and it was great to, to reconnect. I mean, masks on sometimes, masks off other times. Um, now, their organization has people all over the world anyway, so some of them are going to be uh, remote no matter what we do. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's really begun... Uh, you know, I think we have to be cautious, but I think it's a it's a risk that is occasionally worth taking because those kind of facilitated discussions just can't be done over you know a series of hour long or two hour long zooms. Um, you know, so yes, I think it's starting. Uh, the interesting thing is, um, you know, this client in particular are probably going to sell off their office and rent back maybe half of the space. Uh, I think there are a lot of others that are starting to rethink um, what do they need to be in for uh, and and what can they um, do remotely. One client of mine used to have a, a very, you know, every Monday they had a two-hour long meeting face-to-face and, and people really didn't love that. When that <laughs> went away, well, you can imagine it, it's supposed to be just a quick, what do you need to know today? Um, but it also became an opportunity to showcase uh, what people were working on. So you got a lot of project reports and the like. They replaced that with a, a Zoom call or a conference call almost every day, but 20 minutes. Here's what's going on. Here's the things that are changing today. Here's what you need to know. They loved that. Uh, as far as I know, they're staying with that. Um, you know, so you learn different ways of working and sometimes they're better. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I've seen uh, the the experience that I've had kind of runs the gamut. I I traveled a little um, starting in April of last year. I had I had one trip to the West Coast. I'm I live I live on the East Coast. I live in Miami. I had one trip to the West Coast in April of last year, and then nothing until November of 2021, and then. Gradually getting into December, people were open to having me come into the office. And then when Omicron hit, they were less open. And then everybody got Omicron and then they were and then it became kind of wide open. And I've been traveling pretty consistently, um, you know, five to seven days a month in January, February, March and April of 2022. I think there's a there's a couple of things that may surprise us, and I, I'd actually like to, I'd like to get your your take on this. I'm seeing a lot of people who were betting on scaling back their real estate now doing a 180 and saying, you know what, we're gonna wait because so many people want to be in the office. Like they did surveys of of their teams, and the survey that they took in. December, in December of 2020 or January, February 2021 looks very different than it does now. That extra year of not being in the office and, you know, working with your laptop on your, on your lap, sitting on your couch has, has taken its toll and people are welcoming of number one, a proper work environment free of distractions. And number two, some people that 40 hours a week or more in the office was as much social interaction for them 
as it was workplace interactions. So a lot of the companies that gave up their real estate are standing behind their decision thinking, hey, we made the right move. But a lot of companies that were had the decision pending either because of lease ending terms or because of market conditions or whatever have kind of put it on hold because some of their employees have shifted their mindset and they actually want to be back together. And my personal experience, Barry, has been that Nobody has, with the exception of December when it was crazy and everybody every other day was getting Omicron, but with the exception of that, nobody's told me, no, don't come to our office. Everybody said, really, you want to come? Sure, come tomorrow. You know, it's been, they've been very, very open to having people come back. And um, I, I really think that we underestimate the need for human interaction I don't know that this, you know, we we were thinking it would be like 50-50 hybrid w- with work from home and back in the office. I'm, I'm thinking now it may skew more toward back in the office where people take Mondays and Fridays off, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they want to go somewhere. What is, what is, what is your experience? What does your gut tell you? Yeah, no, it's, it's still, it's still a mix and it depends a lot on, on who it is and, and, and what they're working on. But the need for human interaction is very real. And, and the idea of, um, connecting with a team, having the little side chats, the, the conversations before entering a conference room, over coffee, those kind of things are, are part of the social fabric, and we do miss them. I mean, people have reflected a lot on, on you know, they don't have the commute anymore, and so maybe we won't all head in at the same time and all head out at the same time, uh, but I do think there's going to be a, a need. Now, i my son's become a software developer, and he doesn't feel like there's not a lot of interaction that way. He'd be happier in, in a quiet room in the house without the commute um, because it's just him and the computer a lot of the time. Actually, um, the the group leader he's working for now is in a different city than he is anyway, so uh, showing up at the office won't make that different. On the other hand... I don't know how connected he is to the organization as a whole because he hasn't really, you know, they had built a big fancy office that had a lot of perks and um, he hasn't lived them. So it's, it's a different, it's a different life. But, but yeah, I, I do think there was a lot of collegiality. Of course, in my consulting days, everybody was on the road a lot anyway when I was at BCG. So you, you saw people mostly on Fridays, but it was great to be in and connect with people. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, do think yeah. we're going to do some kind of hybrid, and it's probably going to skew towards more face to face than than remote eventually. Yeah, my experience was the same. When I was at Gallup, we would do a Thursday evening like happy hour with everybody from the office because most people were either just getting back off the road on a Thursday, and you know Friday in the office was always kind of a was always kind of a light day and. People really looked forward to, particularly the uh, the staff folks who were, you know, were in the office all the time. Gallup had this model where they were always, you could always work from home. Gallup was always 100% focused on outcomes. And if you, if you were, let's say you were an admin and the two people you were supporting spent 80% of their time on the road, they didn't care where you worked. As long as you were accessible, you didn't have to go to an office if you didn't want to go to an office. So Thursdays became the day when everybody would come in because everybody was looking forward to seeing one another after work that night. And I was just talking to a colleague. I was, I was up in New York and one of, my, one of my colleagues who I worked with at Gallup, and we were saying how that he thinks they're going to go back to that because 
that was a great model. And he thinks that that would give people an incentive to come into the office at least one day a week. You could check and make sure people were still alive and, you know, <laughs> that, that, that there wasn't just that, that their paycheck wasn't just going to an account. You never heard from them, you know, and you could also do like a legitimate check in and sit across from somebody and, you know, say to them, listen, you know, you're working on the ABC account. Is that guy, you know, is he is he okay? Are we are, is our position solid there? And that's not the kind of conversation you want to have in front of a group on a Zoom, or maybe even want to have over any electronic device at all. You, it's kind of a pull aside, you know, cup of coffee conversation where you know I want to make sure we're going to be okay in this account. What do I need to do to sure it up? That's a person to person conversation, and that's I I I, I think we still we still need to have that. I, um, I, okay, I think we okay. do too. You know, the other thing you know it strikes me when I. When I joined BCG, you know, we joined as, as groups because they tend to hire out of graduating classes. So, uh, but then you end up on project teams. And, you know, uh, I can imagine that if it was these, you know, if it was during COVID, that I would really know my project team, but I wouldn't be able to stay in touch with everybody else who's not working on the same client project with me. So that is the thing that, that happens. And we share sort of, uh, you know, non-confidential issues around how do you wrestle with a client who's resisting your calls or something like that and and that kind of conversation only happens if you're talking to somebody you wouldn't normally be in a zoom call with yeah no that's so that's so true and so much of what i learned i learned from people i ran into in the office and said hey i heard you were doing this with your client can you just give me give me the five minutes on how it works? Oh, I'll do I'll do better than that. I'll show you the slide deck. Come into my office. You don't get that on Zoom. And there's I'm not you know I don't I don't walk down the hall and look at the dog and go Hey, can you share your slide deck with me? He's got nothing to offer in that regard. <laughs> All right, Barry, tell us now uh, before before I get you to give us three things to focus on. Tell us now about business development. So, uh, you know, you're a sole practitioner, as, as am I. I, use, I do use contractors to do some of the, I do some, I, I probably do more execution than you do being in a business development role, and I use contractors for that. But as a sole practitioner who, you know, could be prone to peaks and valleys in, in business, what do you do for business development? How do you connect with people? You already told us that you're, you know, you're, you do great work and your clients tend to refer you. That's great. What else do you do from a business development perspective? Well, a lot of it's been networking, um, you know, and it came from a lumber of different networks. I mean, BCG is a great network. Uh, they actually do treat uh, those of us who left the firm as, as alums. Um, had a lot fewer events in the last few years. Uh, the business school also is a great network and, and I've gone to a lot of local events, the Alumni Association. I do some volunteer work. We have a, a program where we put alums together into consulting projects uh, for nonprofits on a pro bono basis. And I've done a lot of those projects. I've met a lot of good people that way. And actually, though I didn't do that for business development, it did connect me to people who ultimately led to business now that I've been doing this long enough. Um, I'm also part of a professional networking group that's been useful. It's called Provisors. Uh, and, you know, it's been virtual now, which has allowed us to travel to lots of different cities. Uh, again, I don't get a lot of referrals that way, but I get a few uh, and I don't need that many. I've also found resources that I can use for my clients that way. So it, again, it's word of mouth and trust because I think um, people, you know, strategy is a, is a 
complicated thing and it's really critical to an organization and a CEO really needs to trust who he's going to be working with or she's going to be working with. And, and so I build these relationships over time. I also support it, by the way, with a, with a newsletter that I do monthly now. And that has kept me back in touch with a lot of people I know. I don't sell anything through the newsletter. I share good ideas and I mostly send it to my, you know, people who know me. And uh, so it doesn't lead directly to sales, but it has reminded people of what I do and, and kept me back in the loop. And, and that's helped. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I want you to I want you to expand upon the thought of the of the leverage Provisors gives you because um, as you know, I'm a member of Provisors as well. And the re the main reason I joined was because I saw it as a competitive advantage to be able to have other resources, particularly resources in other cities, when my clients called me that I could connect them with. You know, I do, I do a lot of work with lawyers and lawyers are always looking for lawyers in other jurisdictions. And as a member of Provisors, I have, I, I have a lawyer, you name it, I have a lawyer there. You know, in, in the United States, I can find you a lawyer. And, and also from a specialty standpoint, anything from, you know, Native American water rights on reservations to maritime law to, you know, buying an aircraft and a trust, I can find you that person in a network like Provisors. So for me, Provisors was a way for me to provide a competitive advantage to my clients. You just call me. I'm the guy you call when you don't know who to call because I've got a network. I can connect you with somebody in the realm of professional services who can do just about everything. I think that is one of the most underrated aspects of this particular organization. And based on what you said, I'm thinking you probably feel the same way. Have you used it in a similar fashion? I've used it that way in, in several different occasions. Um, I was working with a client uh, in the West Coast. Um, you know, Northern California, and um, they were looking for a part-time CFO. And so I went, you know, I'm here in the Boston area, but there's provisors you can connect. I got them a couple of people to talk to there. I'm just wrapping up a project now where I actually partnered with another provisors person, uh, where I focus largely on strategy and she focuses largely on board development. And the client concluded that uh, they needed to do the strategy work and then, you know, do some work on their board afterwards. And so we partnered. I've been the lead on the strategy part. And when we get to the board part coming up soon, um, she'll be the lead. So, so that's also been helpful. Um, yes, there have been a couple of lawyers I've referred to people, again, highly specialized um, and, and regional as well. I needed somebody who knew something about real estate law in New York City. Well, you know, so you connect to the New York part of Provisors. And again, you can get a couple of good people there. There are a lot of good people in there. And, and it's been very helpful that way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a terrific, it's been a terrific resource. And you don't, in other groups, you don't find people, at least I haven't found people of the caliber that, that we that we find in, in Provisors. It really allows me as a solo to compete with firms that have greater resources because they can call me for things that they would normally, you know, call a, an advertising agency for, and I can connect them with people pretty much anywhere. 
All right, Barry, take a minute. Think about three things we should take away from our time together. Three things you want people to remember from this conversation. While you're doing that, I'm going to remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, they've helped people with their accounting and tax planning. The tax planning part of this is something that I really think you should give some thought to because if you're thinking about succession in your business and your succession plan is, well, I'm just going to sell and get out, you got to think about the tax implications of that because when you sell your business, you're going to pay capital gains on that wheelbarrow full of cash that you're going to bring into your front door. If you want to reduce the amount of capital gains exposure you have, you need to call Sandrowski because they're experts in something called the Qualified Small Business Stock Exemption. Now, this is a, uh, a little nuance in the tax code. I call it a nuance because the big four, they're not going to work on this. It's too small for them because it only applies to businesses that do $50 million in annual revenue or less. But if you have a business and you're going to sell it, like Harry told me a story about a business that, Harry Sandrowski told me a story about a business that he uh, works with. The gentleman sold the business for $40 million, and because his business was prepared by Sandrowski for this event five years in advance, the gentleman paid $10 million less in capital gains taxes than he would have. He saved $10 million because of the way Sandrowski prepared his business for sale. If you like money and you want to take home more of it, you got to give Sandrowski a call. You can reach out to them at 866-717-1607. That's 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. Don't forget, I've got a gift for you. My Revenue Roadmap Guide. Download it now. Go to that website, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. Get your free business development plan. You can use it. You can customize it for your professional firm, just like I do with my clients. You can do this on your own. It's my gift to you for watching and listening to the show. My guest today is Barry Harwitz. He's a strategy consultant. The name of his company is Harwitz & Company. You can call him at 617-928-0572. 617-928-0572. Okay, Barry, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? Well, thanks, Dave. I mean, I think I'd start with the the first one being a topic we we covered fairly early on, that uh, it's not just about culture, strategy is important. And strategy is really about choices and and setting a direction and really thinking more broadly. So so, um, even if the the world is moving quickly, I think strategy is an important thing. Uh, Second to that, I guess, is that Strategy is not a, a thing you do once every five years and put in a nice book. It's really, it's more a way of thinking. So you really need to assess what's going on in the market, whether your competitors, what they're doing, what the pay, the people that pay you, uh, what your market wants, or any technological things that might be driving change. So it's an adaptive thing. It's best working with a lot of your senior team all at once, not just the CEO alone. Uh, and um, it's, you know, it's a living document. It ought to be something that you come back to. And I would say that's probably the most important thing. It's, it's people and culture um, aligned with a clear direction, a clear focus on what it is you're trying to do. That's critically important. All right. Ba- 
that was great. No, those are those are three great uh, things to take away from our time together. Our guest is Barry Harwitz. You can reach out to him at 617-928-0572, 617-928-0572. Barry, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you here with us today. Hey, thank you, Dave. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, folks, for listening. Thank you for watching. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We're here every day with a brand new interview for you. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.